The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, to the second half of uh, Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have our panel of political pundits uh, that includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you. Thank you. And political operative Bobby Clayton Walton, who I cut off at the end of part one. <laughs> Bobby, welcome back. <laughs> you want to pick up? You want to pick up and finish where you left off uh, in the first? Well, yeah, I was just talking about the general mood of people being anti-government, and you were talking about the fact that the list that this this shooter had included both Republican and Democratic political leaders. And I think it just underscores that we are in a time of terrorism against government. So that was just my, that was just what I, I thought well, I thought. You, you know, Bobby, you, you may mention, go back to the Reagan administration, remember the line Reagan used, something about government is the problem. You know, right. I think we've right. seen the rise yeah. of that kind of cynicism since that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's dangerous for us to take that position because government, if you read the the book that I talked about earlier, it illustrates that government provides us with three things: public safety, which uh, Henry mentioned earlier about safety and health, um, a management of our shared resources, which is all about how we manage what we own in common, which is tax uh, taxes and also uh, public property, and then justice. Those three things are the important things that government provides. So when you tear down the government, are you tearing down those three things that we rely on to keep us whole and healthy? You're encouraging anarchy. Yeah, it's anarchy. And then it becomes survival of the citizen. I just don't think that's where we started, and I don't think that's where we need to be. I agree. Well, Perry Johnson... A Republican gubernatorial hopeful who was disqualified from appearing on the ballot for the August primary filed a federal lawsuit Monday in a last-ditch attempt to stop ballots from being printed without his name. Um, Does Johnson have any hope that this Hail Mary move will work? No. No. Hope not. The only thing that struck me is that I think of the five who, who, who were knocked off the ballot, I think Johnson was the closest. He was, what, I think 1,700 signatures short. 
So maybe, if, but it's, again, the ballots are being printed already, so I'm not sure what you're going to change there. But in terms of the math of it, he might have had a better chance if they could have found 1,700 valid signatures and all those other fraudulent ones. But again, I think the time has passed. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that, again, we don't make the laws in this country as we go. And you can't just go out and say, all of a sudden, I'm going to challenge this law and make a new law. The laws are already established there. And you've got to follow the law until we change it. I don't know what's so complicated about that. But doesn't judicial interpretation change the law? Yes, it does. But the, no, no, it doesn't. Only the legislature can change the law. Only the Congress and the legislature. Isn't Johnson asking for the election to be bumped ahead because of his, these his complaints? I mean, isn't that one of his claims, is that he would like to see that primary election moved ahead in a couple of weeks or a month or at some point? I'm not sure what the time frame is. But, uh, well, I at the very least, really he's talking reason. about moving deadlines because the deadline to finalize ballots for the August primary passed on Friday. Yeah, that was last Friday. It was too late. We need to move on. Well, the Republican-controlled Michigan legislature has intervened in a lawsuit over the state's now-dormant 1931 abortion law. In a motion filed Monday in the Court of Claims, the House and Senate asked to intervene as defendants in the lawsuit and asked the court to reconsider its May 17th order in which it issued a preliminary injunction that would bar enforcement of the law in the event that Roe v. Wade is overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. The legal move is in support of a 1931 law which remains on the books but has not been enforceable since 1973 under the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling. It would criminalize all abortions except those performed to save the life of a pregnant person. Can the legislature derail the governor's efforts to block Michigan's 1931 anti-abortion law from going into effect? They're trying. I think this is representative of the same thing they tried to do when she took action over COVID relief, where uh, she was trying to keep us from getting sick. Yeah. I mean, it's always up to, as you said before, Tom, so, so much of this ends up courts in the end anyhow. I guess it's possible, but uh, in the end, it's going to depend what the Supreme Court does with, with Roe Wade. We'll hear about that in the next couple of weeks, more than likely. Now, yeah, I think there's two or three different things happening here, too. Uh, she's asked the Supreme Court to interpret whether it's constitutional, and this is Planned Parenthood that came in and asked for the injunction. So you have two different cases going on, but I believe last week she issued an executive order that the agencies under her administration were uh, enjoined from actually carrying out any of the 1931 law, which actually made it a felony for doctors to perform abortions. Right, right, yeah. And I think Britain's case is, is trying to rely on the state constitution, finding that the state constitution would uphold the roadway principles. Right, which was bodily integrity, I believe. That's right. That's right. Well, and uh, there are a number of states that are wrangling with the same old laws on the books 
uh, or at least similar kinds of uh, abortion bans that have been on the books but were kind of um, well they were they were overtaken by uh, Roe v. Wade in 1973 these states and, and I'm seeing comments from Republicans that are saying they don't necessarily want to go back to the law they had, but rather something that was a little bit more inclusive when it comes to exemptions. In, in other words, not just the life of the pregnant person, but in the cases of uh, rape and incest. And and these have well, been one Republicans. of the things that they're doing now, which they didn't do in 1931, is try to define a, a fertilized egg as a human being, which is um, has really comprehensive meaning when it comes to all other laws that protect people. And so um, that one is really going to be a can of worms. It's it's going to be a tough one, and and. It was it was tough in 1973, and it's gotten even tougher since then because our understanding of when life begins continues to evolve. Well, nature's already decided that for us. But our understanding of it doesn't necessarily keep up with nature, Henry. But the science is the science, guys. We deal with that all the time. Um, yeah, but Henry, if you look at law, the most important part of any bill is the definitions. And when you say life, you've got to define exactly what you mean by that. Do you count those people, the, the, the fetus from the census? Do you give them tax deductions, among other things? I mean, right. I mean, there's so much that goes into that. Yeah, we yeah. can put a lot of hyperbole into it, but science is very definite. Um, but it constantly gets it constantly gets yeah. changed. There was a wonderful book called The Nature of Scientific Revolutions, which talked about changing the paradigm. It changes all the time. Yes, it does. <clears throat> I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing just uh, being in the laboratory and looking at a fertilized egg there and defining it, uh, whether in vitro or whether uh, in the body of in the uterus. Um, We're in the freezer. Worth watching to see whether or yeah. not this mobilizes a lot of voters for uh, midterm elections. I mean, if you know the, the, the working assumption is this may mobilize a lot of Democratic voters, we'll see if that plays out. But that's a possibility. And guys, the court does what it well, does. we'll have a better idea in July after uh, after this flurry of uh, Supreme Court decisions yeah. comes out in June. Right. Right. Well, it's not going to slow down for a while. Still, there is a mystique to life. There's a mystique. When you look at the egg when it's fertilized, there's a mystique there that is hard for us to understand. And this is where we shape our belief system, not based on the science, but on how we would like to think of the egg, think of life itself. Life is nothing until a person is born outside the body and walks around and becomes a threat to humanity, if that's the case. But there's a mystique about life that's still wonderful to think about for those people who are 
scientists or spiritualists or moms and dads, children themselves. There's a mystique, and life always has to have that mystique to it. Because yeah, but we need waters to govern how we live. <laughs> uh, well, again, there's some parameters in it, and I can be defeated on this argument, but I'm talking about the people out there who hear my testimony. Well, no, Henry, I love arguing with you because I think, I, I said to a friend the other day, I enjoy having discussions with Republicans I may not agree with, but I don't enjoy talking to people who are stupid. And you're not stupid. So I enjoy well, arguing well, with you. But you win the arguments most of the time. Because <laughs> I only argue if I think I'm right. <laughs> Okay. Well, President okay. Joe Biden authorized the Defense Production Act to spur U.S. manufacturing of solar and several other forms of clean energy, the White House announced Monday. Biden authorized the Energy Department to use the DPA to speed up domestic manufacturing of solar panel components, energy-efficient heat pumps, building insulation, electric transformers needed for the power grid, and equipment like electrolyzers and fuel cells. The White House also announced it will leverage the power of the federal government's purse for clean energy using federal procurement to increase U.S. solar manufacturing. Do actions like these being taken prolong the potential doomsday effect of global warming? Or postpone, maybe, is a better word. It's a little piece of it, but I don't think it's the total. No, I don't think it's the yeah. total either, but... You know, there there are these these dates that, you know, if we don't act, we're going to be, uh, you know, cinders by, you know, 2050 or, you know, whatever. Right. And what I'm right. wondering is with with every inch forward, are we are we moving that date back a little bit? And, and doesn't that argue to go ahead and take the actions and not give up that it and, and think it's too late? Yeah, no, I think I think it's good. I think we should go forward. I don't think we'll be cinders, Tom. I think we're going to be drowning, because I think the fact that the polar ice caps are melting and the sea levels are rising is one of our biggest threats. Well, there's a paradox up there already. Uh, here we say, uh, let's search for more oil. Let's buy oil from the Russians. Let's buy oil from South America. Let us create it oil here in our own country. And then we say, let's have electrical vehicles that will save us power. But that's the biggest paradox there is. Their conversion process come to uh, use well, energy faster. That's kind and, of the nature of transition, though, Henry, is, is always... But we got to talk. Many people don't understand that. I think it's a lifesaver. Trying to keep our feet in uh, in both worlds. And speaking of keeping our feet you know, in I'm, both I'm sure worlds. We face a similar transition when we went from horses to automobiles. We need you know, to. Uh, plus years ago. Well, we need to break here and uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do. When we go to break, if you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's still more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. Um, The Department of Homeland Security is warning that threats in the U.S. could become even more volatile uh, throughout the summer and midterm election season, fueled by election year misinformation and potential violence surrounding an upcoming Supreme Court ruling on abortion rights. Threat actors have recently mobilized to violence due to factors such as personal grievances, reaction to current events, and adherence to violent extremist ideologies, including racially or ethnically motivated or anti-government authority violent extremism, a national terrorism advisory system bulletin issued Tuesday said. One of the key upcoming events that we are worried about are first and foremost the midterm elections, said a senior DHS official. The official noted that those harboring grievances over the 2020 election and fueled by misinformation may feel compelled to respond to the election season using violence. As the United States enters midterm election season this year, We assess that calls for violence by domestic violent extremists directed at democratic institutions, political candidates, party offices, election events, and election workers will likely increase the bulletin obtained by CNN said. Another key event of concern, a final Supreme Court opinion in a case that stands as a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade's holding of a federal constitutional right to an abortion. Votes and language can still change before the final opinion, which is not expected to be issued until late this month, but a draft opinion leaked in May uh, that would overturn Roe v. Wade. Given a high-profile U.S. Supreme Court case about abortion rights, individuals who advocate both for and against abortion have, on public forums, encouraged violence, including against government, religious and reproductive health care personnel and facilities, as well as those with opposing ideologies, the DHS alert said. Are you expecting an increase in violence this election season and and during the time leading up to the next presidential election in 2024? I don't. I think the Americans... I don't. I think the Americans... Yeah, I think there's a potential for it, but I don't know. Given the indictment of um, the leadership of the Cowboys and also the Oath Keepers this week, um, there's a little bit of a blunting of that organized terrorism, but I don't know how effective it will be in the long term. Yeah, and I don't don't think that there will be as much violence. I think the American people have taken a look at that. Uh, generally speaking, and they don't like what they see. And I think that they are going to discourage that in all ways that they possibly can uh, to prevent uh, uh, this kind of violence uh, caused by elections. I just don't see it. And, and I think we'll, we'll see what kind of lessons come out of the, the, the hearings 
beginning tomorrow on January 6th. I mean, we know a lot about that, but there's apparently a lot more to come out, and that may mm-hmm. that that may kind of just have some lessons about the potential for violence coming up, and, uh, and hopefully it'll, mm-hmm. it'll blunt some of those efforts. Well, I read this morning that there are um, six hearings planned this month, starting with the first one tomorrow. Yeah. And it uh, there's been a lot of whispering about how much new information and new video footage and so on is uh, likely to be presented. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what to expect. I mean, I, I, this is kind of a big build-up, but we'll see <clears> how <throat> much new information comes out. And, and again, the real question I have is, will it change anybody's opinion? I mean, it seems like so far so many of the opinions are locked in. You wonder whether it'll change much, but it certainly sounds like there's some potentially very damaging things, maybe, in, in some of that testimony and some of those videos. As Bobby, as Bobby um, uh, quoted from uh, her author here, uh, uh, who wrote, I think it's Hammer, Lucifer's Hammer. You know, yeah. I think the American people, and that would be the majority of the American people, as Caucasians, um, as well as other um, cultures and racial groups, when the country is divided as much as it is between Democrats and Republicans, um, arguing over a theoretical and, and um, uh, a- abstract ideas, I think all, all people in these groups feel the same thing, and they will react in the same way. But there, there are those who are within a group that, mis- that may not represent the interest of the real group. And what we hear from, we hear from the people who talk the loudest and the fastest. We don't hear from the great body of people who are in the middle. We just hear from those who talk the loudest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true on both sides. I think, I think Henry, going along with that, the one thing that will come out of, I hope will come out of these hearings, is the decision makers who have the authority and the power to make some changes in the way that we approach this domestic terrorism have to defend their positions. Because the more the information becomes public, they have to defend it. I I, I think you're right. The most interesting thing I see is that so many public officials appear to have been part of that process of of the uh, the riot. That's the best we we can hope for. And uh, with this question that Thomas asked, do you expect uh, anticipated violence? Well, uh, I, I think that all groups feel the same. We're all in fear of something. Um, and we, we must be thinking about that because it's demonstrated all the time. And uh, there's no um, guarantee that, uh, Bobby, you will be safe driving home or Paul or any, uh, Tom, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Anybody can pull out uh, a gun and just shoot you, even if you pull in front of them and they think that you violated their space uh, in their big vehicles. Uh, you can be subject to a bullet. Justifiable. Yeah, well, that's, that's been true for a long time. But I think the issue here is that this terrorism is, the purpose of it is to keep people from voting. The purpose of it is to keep people from going to the polls. The purpose of it is for us to 
Close our eyes, close our ears, keep our heads down and go forward without thought. And driven by whom? What element drives that? The people who want to retain power without democracy, which is to 50% or better, who know the right answers. Yes, but is it Democrats or Republicans or is it just people? Well, here's it doesn't matter. It's whoever is in power. This uh, who, who extracted from both groups. All people are not criminals in Washington. There's some people oh, you're ab- who are You're absolutely people. right. My position on it is it doesn't matter what you call yourself. It's how power-hungry people become. And the label that they identify with, whether it's Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. Well, that, but then this, we have to put up in order to solve the problem or get close to it. Uh, just respond with a valid question. We have to know who we're talking about. Well, let, that rolls right into another piece that uh, popped up in uh, CNN just in the last couple of days. State and local election officials in Michigan and other political battlegrounds are gearing up to deal with a new element in this year's elections a large influx of Republicans seeking to become poll workers recruited by the Republican National Committee and other conservative organizations to play an active role in administering the midterm elections. The development and a recent story in Politico detailing GOP recruitment sessions and how some of these would-be poll workers cling to debunked claims about fraud in the 2020 election have have raised alarms that Republican election deniers could infiltrate election official election operations and undermine the process. The surge in interest also comes against the backdrop of efforts by former President Donald Trump's allies such as Steve Bannon to carry out what he calls a precinct committee strategy with the goal of installing Trump loyalists in local Republican Party positions and election posts. Will an influx of election workers from the GOP make voters feel more or less secure about the credibility of of the election? How will we know who they are? When I go to vote, I don't see a label on anybody's head. Yeah, that's my question. Uh, and but well, like I can see the potential for confrontations at the poll occasionally, where there may be some incidents as a result of that. I could, I suspect. Now remember, in, in every jurisdiction, in every jurisdiction, it is self-contained, it is local, and it's independent. The Republican National Committee can only set out some guidelines or some desires that it wants to achieve, some goals, but it does not function in establishing how people behave in these jurisdictions. So, uh, <clears throat> but it, it'll take the blame, but it does not. Because I don't agree with the, everything that goes on in jurisdictions, and I think that some of them are contrary to the Republican National Committee, but it serves as an independent body that, uh, that was created for the people and by the people to, so they have representation locally. All politics are local. You're absolutely right, Henry, but my question about poll workers is which which role are they talking about? There are so many different roles carried out at the polls. Some are the paid workers who actually report in the morning and work all day long and help in the process. Others are the poll challengers who are observing, and they're usually sent there by an organization or a candidate. 
and the others are the poll watchers who have no role other than observing. And then there are people who stand outside the polls who actually hand out literature or, or try to get you to vote for a particular candidate. So I don't know when they talk about poll workers, who are they talking about? The paid, the paid workers? Yeah, after the Trump evolution of the fraud at the polls. Uh, we began to pay uh, more attention to what was going on in the polls because I only saw the outside people who, who uh, influenced uh, the voter with this legislation that's 100 feet away from the poll site. And that's fine with me. There are challengers who go inside and they check to see if petitions are well organized and put into the right boxes and secured and locked down and all of that. That's but they can't interfere. Problem. All they can do is observe. Yeah, that 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 was my vision of what goes on. I don't know how that is, that's changed, but uh, somehow there were some irregularities that were discovered where people uh, took boxes out without authority or without uh, the presence of another person there, authorized person to review the process. Now that's troubling. Yeah, uh, they've been still on we'll County in past elections some of the poll workers tried to intimidate yeah. voters, and, uh, and that raised some, some serious issues. And but I think we can... Before Trump. I think we can reestablish credibility there, because that is not so uh, difficult uh, to achieve locally, because we do it well, in our own jurisdiction. My only concern about what happens in the election is when you put people in positions of authority that can actually reject valid votes or can actually overturn the the results of a of an election and decide that that people didn't vote appropriately or or the way that they wanted them to. That's the position that I would have yes. issue with, but not the people who are paid to work in the polls who have to follow. The, the legal procedure of administering the election. Yeah, and this is why I, I referred to a sanctioned body that had no vested interest in an outcome of anything to look at it for what it's worth. Given the guidelines, they go and take a look at it, and this is what happened. There again, we have terrorism by making people afraid to go to vote or to make yes. them feel like their vote doesn't count, which is the trust factor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the well, I recall stories here in Genesee County where individuals would approach people and ask for ideas. These are not officials, but just poll watchers. And they would approach potential voters asking for IDs or information. And that would scare some voters away because they were afraid that somehow, you know, they had unpaid traffic time, uh, fines or other, other legal issues. And it was just a means of intimidating people. And uh, there were some objections being made by, in this case, Democratic poll watchers, particularly in the north end of Flint. This is going to back some years. But, you know, yeah. I'm going to go vote in a primary here in August, and I'll, I'll not think, think the second thought about uh, whether my vote is going to count. Because there's a process out there that I believe in and that I trust. In my well, I believe that the primary is not as big an issue as the general right now. Well, but I do agree with you, Henry. I trust, and I will fill out my absentee ballot, and I will, I will drop it in the drop box. But I think that the whole issue of intimidating voters is an issue. But I will say that I volunteered with the Obama campaign when I first moved here. 
and we got calls on election day from people who had also been intimidated at the polls by poll workers asking for ID and, and refusing yep. to give them the ballot if they didn't have it. Well, that's the, that's the process that we use. You've got to follow the, the practice. And uh, people who... Now, you and I are somewhat educated in the process we're talking about, but most people are not. They're skeptical, they're cynical, they're uh, reactive, and so on and so forth. But there, it requires a certain amount of education to understand the process. And that's why the founding fathers said that they, um, we need people who not only look alike and have the same religion, but need to be educated equally. So, Well, you don't, you're not going to get an argument from me, because I think education is really important. Yeah. Well, well, as the Supreme Court rounds the final weeks of the term, it has yet to decide an unusually high number of cases, including disputes over abortion, gun rights, religious liberty, immigration, and the environment, issues that deeply divide the public and exacerbate the ideological split on the 6-3 to three conservative liberal court. June is always a fraught time at the court, as several justices have openly acknowledged in speeches over the years. But this spring is different. Not only are the nine judges reshaping contours of social issues that drive the public debate, but they are also working to salvage the institutional legitimacy of their own branch of government. The court released three opinions Monday morning and have 30 remaining. In addition, the justices are dealing with an unprecedented turmoil triggered by an internal investigation. Last month, Chief Justice John Roberts ordered the marshal of the court to find the person who breached internal protocols and leaked the draft opinion that would reverse Roe v. Wade that had been circulating among chambers. Has that leak damaged the credibility of the court? We've I don't had think that. So. No, I don't think so either. Oh, we've, we've had breaches before. It's damaged the internal internal operations of the court and the trust they've had with each other. There was a great story this morning on public radio talking about how you know they used to would be really a a collegial body in, in, in a genuine sense, but this is, this incident has really made them distrust each other yeah. in ways that hadn't happened much before at all. Yeah, see, the culture of the court is changing as the people change. Uh, they 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 are no different because they extracted from people, and people are flawed with their way that they look at things, and they are not cohesive in what they think and what they believe and what they want as goals to be achieved. And so the Supreme Court is caught in that, and they are somewhat human like we are, flawed and, and divisive, so on and so forth. We've got to keep a court. When they established the court uh, back in 1789, they had hoped that the court would be free of all of these influences. And the court is now caught up in them, and we need to free the court from that. And we've had breaches before, but we overcame them. They didn't talk about them much. Well, I think when McConnell took his when McConnell took his position oh, yeah. to uh, to stall the appointment of a Supreme Court justice so that it didn't go forward for um, for the Senate to approve, uh, actually corrupted the system. And I think that that's what has brought us 
into the position where now where people don't trust the system to actually work for them. Well, you know, and you know, the way, Bobby, when they when they appointed the last justice within three weeks of the election, and of the three yeah. appointments that Trump got, two of them were dubious legitimacy. Yeah. Right, and so I don't see how that produces a cohesiveness and a, and a collegiality within the court, much less a trusting by the by the public of the court itself as being representative of the people. But Bobby, we we ha we don't have any choices. We have to either live with what is out there, or we have to try to influence people to change it so that we survive yep. as an institution. And we can't. And that's where we are. We can't. Well, we we got to talk more with structure and control and authority with how we reestablish the court to serve out its rule, intended rule, that was given in 1789. Well, I blame McConnell and his bullying of the system and his, his actual um, ideological approach to our del delivery of justice. But so he had a flaw. He's only one person. But there are with a lot of power. Of us. Yeah, One person with a lot of power. But he only lives for between two dates, and he's got to make the most of the dash between the two dates. And so we, he flawed, but he's only one person. We can overcome that. With a lot of power. Yeah. I'm waiting on your antidote to show us how. Yeah, I just raised the question. Expand the Supreme Court to, oh, like oh. maybe 19 members. Oh, boy. Okay. That's it. That's I'm right. radical, Henry. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes you amazing. That's what makes politics amazing. That's right. We have to start with the extremes. Why 19? Well, what about term limits on the courts? The other, the other option, Bobby, is term limits. Would, would that be a serious option? Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. So that's about as that is about as likely to happen as recently as no, the would be the worst. So, yeah. Why, Bobby? Why the number nineteen? Well, you need an odd number, and I just you know I just sort of grabbed adding ten more people. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. But I don't know whether that would work, Bobby, because. I was just curious why More not people being subject to influences. Well, it could have been 15. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Roosevelt tried to do that, and of course he, he fell flat on his face and doing it. Court packing, I think they called it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was, that was it. That was one of the FDR's kind of stumbles in the late 30s, and he tried to expand the look by a few people. It wasn't going to be good 19, but by a few. And this becomes... Again, subject to my criticism of making the law go. You never know what you're going. You never know where you're going. You never know what's going to be the outcome of anything. And you live in a no. life of uh, uncertainty. I just, I just got a book yesterday that I ordered on, uh, on Christian nationalism, which I think is one of those uh, things that's in the background that's really causing us a lot of grief. And my criticism of the Supreme Court right now is there are a lot of people on that court that are using their religious beliefs to guide their decisions on justice. Mm -hmm. Well, we're cool. gonna we're gonna see how that plays out because there are a lot of a uh, lot of rulings coming our way over the next three weeks. 
In the meantime, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with the X-Files. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Flood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital... Go to a local symphony concert. Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, and the uh, final segment of the show. Uh, where we look at those weird and wacky uh, stories that I call the X-Files. A courthouse in upstate New York was closed for fumigation Tuesday after hundreds of cockroaches were released during an altercation that broke out at an arraignment, according to court (laughs) officials. The, the clash broke out during proceedings in an Albany City court for four people for an arrest at the state capitol. A defendant who started to film the courtroom proceedings was told to stop. In the altercation that followed, hundreds of cockroaches brought into the uh, courthouse in plastic containers were released according to the state court system. The bug release was being investigated while the courthouse was closed for the rest of the day for fumigation. Court officers arrested a 34-year-old woman in the audience for charges related to the altercation, including disorderly conduct, obstructing government administration, and tampering with physical evidence. She was released and it was not immediately clear whether she had an attorney to speak on her behalf. What transpired is not advocacy or activism. It is criminal behavior with the intent to disrupt a proceeding and cause damage, according to a statement from the Office of Court Administration. Do you think this woman misunderstood her marching orders to bug the courtroom? Well, she certainly chose um, a method that got attention. I think I think it was really funny because I think the cockroach is one of the one things that we have on the surface that is indestructible. <laughs> I think eventually we're going to be overrun. Yeah. And I think Probably, they're yeah. I, I think they're the only things that poll lo- lower than Congress. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not nice, guys. Come on, come on. <laughs> Those are the people we trust to provide safety and security <laughs> and justice. Come on. No, we trust our own congressmen. We don't trust anybody else's. Well, we well, you were reading, at least I was saying, at least nobody's done that in the Flint City Council yet. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> oh, don't oh. give them ideas. Oh. No, no, oh, don't give them ideas. Um, right. you, you may, ha- again, have uh, our famous president reinstalled. 
<laughs> the king cockroach. <laughs> Witnesses called police at about 5 p.m. Monday to report someone spray painting the bronze statue. Captain John Burke said Tuesday the statue depicts actor Elizabeth Montgomery as lead character Samantha Stevens in the 1960s sitcom sitting on a broomstick in front of a crescent moon. This happened in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, by the way. Oh, yeah. An officer in the area spotted a uh, man fitting witness descriptions of the vandal and after a brief chase arrested a 32-year-old city resident on charges of defacing property. Um, resisting arrest and disorderly conduct, Burke said. His motivation remains unclear. In between meetings, was disappointed to hear the bewitched Samantha statue downtown was vandalized, Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll tweeted Monday night. I'm grateful to Salem police for their quick work apprehending the individual uh, responsible. We'll work to get the statue cleaned as fast as a twitch of Samantha's nose. The statue was erected in the in the city famous for the 1692 witch trials in in uh, 2005, despite protests from some who said it trivializes the tragedy of the trials. Could this have been revenge by Mrs. Kravitz? Yes. Abner. Oh, that was such a funny show. Where did you get these? <laughs> I I did a deep dive this weekend. A cowboy rode his horse onto a busy Oklahoma highway and was able to lasso a cow running loose in traffic, and the moment was caught on camera. Blake Eagert, a contractor for Oklahoma National Stockyards pinback crew, said he received a call Monday morning that loose cows had been spotted on Interstate 40 in Oklahoma City. <laughs> Egert and colleague Jimmy Dishman saddled up their horses and rode onto the highway. It was a little more intense this time. We were right in the middle of traffic. The cows were uh, heading right into the interstate, Egert told KOCO-TV. An Oklahoma City Fire Department crew that happened to be in the area blocked traffic while Egert and Dishman chased the bovine. A KOCO news helicopter recorded the moment Dishman threw a lasso around the neck of the cow. You got to be patient and wait for a good opportunity, Egert said. Is the highway quicker than the dusty trail for wrangling cattle to the stockyard? <laughs> yeah, it might be faster and it's paved, you know. Right. <laughs> I was thinking it's a good thing you didn't use a taser because the cow would have fallen down in traffic and been harder to remove. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I was going to say, on the other hand, riding horseback does save you on gas prices. So <laughs> yeah, I wonder who cleaned up after it. Well, that's right, that's also true. <laughs> 
Well, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of uh, the X-Files and Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. Um, oops, looks like we uh, lost Henry along the way, so I'm going to bring him back in real quick. There, you back in with us, Henry? Yes, I was. I was wondering whether that, this reminds me of the movie of McGovern, the, the detective that rode a horse through the city. Oh, McLeod. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 Dennis Weaver. <laughs> sure, that's yes. right. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was a good yeah, one. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I wanted to tell you quickly, I did look at the charter, the yeah. city charter, and I did find the section on the removal for cause of, a, of an officer. Um, page 14, section 1-603, and it refers to a public hearing before the city council with public notice published in the manner set forth in the charter. I suspect that's oh. the two-week thing that he's referring to. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, uh, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right, and and the public hearing was definitely part of his uh, his complaint that wasn't done. That you know there wasn't yeah. there wasn't a time to present it, and then come back later to make the decision. In any event, right. uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I want to say uh, thanks again to um, my guest earlier this morning, um, Ralph Riband who is uh, one of the GOP candidates running in the August primary to um, get the Republican nomination to run against uh, Gretchen Whitmer for governor. And, uh, of course, I want to thank uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're well, welcome. Good to be here. And, of course, it's always, always fun when, it's always fun when, uh, when Bobby Clayton Walton joins the group thank you guys you keep my blood going <laughs> thank you Bob. take care bobby thank you bobby you're always good to show you're good for us you make us smarter thanks henry i always enjoy jousting with you <laughs> and we're going to try next week uh i'm going to try to to uh continue with the um gop candidates for governor I've had, I think, three on so far, so we'll we'll continue uh, uh, reaching out to them, and uh, hopefully we'll get them all in before the primary comes up. You're going to get That's Peter good. Dixon, aren't you? I, you know, I sent uh, I, I sent a note to her fairly recently. I'm going to try and send another one, and maybe try a couple of Please other. Please do. A couple other ways. I, I, I was going to too. say once again, Tom, you perform such a good public service by bringing candidates before us so that questions can be asked and they can actually present a case. That's pretty interesting interview this morning. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks uh, so much for being here, and um, thanks to uh, the listeners for tuning in, and hopefully uh, you'll join me tomorrow for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, that Smoking George winner's tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. And with that, I'll just simply say goodnight, everyone. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.